So I want to take a minute before I begin, and I want to say thank you, Kerwin Soul Alliance. Uh, and what I want to thank you for is how, uh, how gracious you've been in observing the protocols that the church leadership has put in place. Uh, you have made our job very easy because we know there are many diverse opinions, and uh, we really don't, we've never navigated this before. No one really has uh, in the modern age. And so we're thankful for your willingness to, uh, to do what you do, to be here. And we're glad that you're here. We are so thankful that you're here. I didn't realize uh, when we were those few weeks without church, I didn't realize how much I had missed being together until the first Sunday back. And I felt like, wow, this is so good to be together. So thank you for being so gracious, Kerwinsville Alliance. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, going to read a dozen verses there. There's a Bible app event for this, and we're kind of continuing the Sermon on the Mount. But there's kind of a, we're doing something that actually is very unusual, something I've never done before. Um, as we discuss the Sermon on the Mount, and as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, which we'll do toward the end of the sermon, um, we're going to remember two individuals from Kerbinsville Alliance who passed away, two leaders in Kerbinsville Alliance who passed away. And at the time of their death, it was early in the pandemic. And if you remember early in the pandemic, we weren't allowed to have funeral services at all. We didn't know what we were looking at. No one knew what they were looking at. And so not being able to have funeral services, all we had was a very small graveside service for these two men. And someone mentioned to me, in the, in, in the course of those events, multiple people mentioned to me, wouldn't it be nice to remember these leaders at Kerbinsville Alliance in a worship service? I mean, not to have a worship service about them, but just to remember them, because we were deeply saddened that we couldn't actually have a funeral service for them. So that's kind of what we're doing today. And the men I'm going to speak to you about uh, here at the onset of this message are Ed McCulley and Jim Hand. Uh, they're pictured before you. So it's kind of going to be a funeral eulogy as we begin. Edwin George McCulley passed away on Saturday, April 18th, 2020, in Dubois Nursing Home. He was a U.S. Army veteran. In 1963, he married the love of his life, Margaret, who joins us watching online. He is, uh, was a member of Kermansville Alliance Church, where he served as a deacon and as an elder. His graveside service was held on April 22nd at East Ridge Cemetery. Now, when I think of Ed, I think of his heart. Ed had a heart that was just about as big as he was. He had a heart of humility. The word arrogant never crossed your mind when you thought of Ed McCulley. He loved to come to church, and he loved to study the Bible. Now, there are people who come to church and people who study the Bible so that they can be seen as coming to church or so they can know stuff and be kind of ahead of the game, and Ed was neither of those. He wasn't wanting to have all the answers. He was just wanting to learn more about Jesus. Ed loved coming to small groups, not to show off what he knew, but to learn from all the other people seated in that small group and to absorb what they had to teach him, even when he was an elder. And he studied the Bible. He studied it personally. He, I found some commentaries and other Bible study aids that he had after he'd passed away. You see, a lot of people come to Christ early in life. And as a result, they kind of have years of Sunday school and years of children's church and years of vacation Bible study and years of Sunday night or Wednesday night Bible club. They kind of have that under their belt in advance. But Ed had none of that because he gave his heart to Christ later in life after he and Margaret had married. And so he kind of felt like he was at a disadvantage, and he worked hard to overcome that. 
Not so he could be somebody, but just so he could walk with Christ. You would hear his heart of humility whenever he prayed for communion. We're going to have communion later this morning. I can remember countless times that Ed, as an elder, was called upon to thank the Lord for his body or to thank the Lord for his blood. And as he would do that, he would weep. He'd break up in the middle of the prayer and then he'd finish. Because the thought that Christ would take his place on a cross and pay for his sin was spiritually and emotionally overwhelming to Ed. He had a heart of humility. He also had a heart of joy. (laughs) And he was a little bit of a prankster. Since I met him, he was always in pain. He had a problem with his back, stenosis of the spine. I can remember being with Margaret at the Altoona Hospital when he had surgery for that probably over 20 years ago. He had problems with his legs and his feet. If you ever saw him without his shoes, you know that he was in and out of the wound clinic quite frequently. And he worked as a crossing guard here and he was hit by a Jeep. I remember running over there when I heard the news and praying with him as he laid on the pavement there in the middle of Susquehanna Avenue. He had a busted knee as a result of that. But he didn't let pain rule his life. Remember I said he had a heart of joy? He found humor in things. Did you ever see his license plate after he got hit by the Jeep? It said, busted knee. (laughs) I said, Ed, what's with the license plate? And he just laughed. (laughs) He was a little bit of a practical joker. You know, if you head out toward Lumber City, you'll see there's a canine bed and breakfast there. You understand what that is? That's a place that if you have to leave your dog with someone, leave it there because it's not just a kennel. It's a bed and breakfast for your dog. And so people take advantage of that. (laughs) One time, Ed sat down at his computer and got out his desktop publishing tools. And he made a fake gift certificate for the canine bed and breakfast of Lumber City. And he filled it out like it was all paid for and everything. And he gave it to his father-in-law and mother-in-law as a gift. <laughs> oh my, I really want to know. I can imagine in my mind's eye, I can imagine, you know, him calling, hi, my wife and I would like to make reservations. <laughs> can you imagine how that would be, right? Just so much fun. You might want to ask Margaret how that played out. I'm not sure how it ended. Ed had a heart of joy. He had a heart of humility. And he had a heart of compassion. He cared about other people. He served as a deacon and he served as an elder at Kerbinsville Alliance. Both of those positions are caring positions. Ed ran the dialer at Kerbinsville Alliance. Back before we used email, we used these, we had two machines and what you do is you record a message on it and then it dialed to like, I don't know, 60 different phone numbers to get that information out. I can still hear his voice, can't you? This is Ed McCulley with a prayer line prayer request. Please pray for Pastor Steve. I think he put his nose where it didn't belong. (laughs) Yeah. I remember when a young woman in our church died while serving God in West Africa. And I was at the home of her parents. I had broken the news to them several hours earlier, and now it was time to let the congregation know. And I called Ed because he's at home. He's got the dialer. I had one of my own, but I wasn't at home, so I called him. And I asked him to please put Shelley's family on the prayer line. And I explained the details to him, and he wept as I told him. We all did. And then he put it on the dialer. This is Ed McCulley with a prayer line prayer request. And he gave the sorrowful details of that loss. Later that day, I called him because I knew 
That had to be hard. So I called him on the phone later in the afternoon. How you doing, buddy? I said, oh, pastor, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And we wept together. He had a compassionate heart. And God had compassion on Ed. (laughs) He's with Jesus now, along with all of those who have found forgiveness in Christ. And there's no more weeping. The old order of things has passed away. Ed McCulley, we remember his life. The second elder I want to speak to you about is a man named Jim Hand. James Elliot Hand. If you knew his wife, you knew that that's what she called him, Elliot. She's the only one who did that. James Elliot Hand passed away on Monday, April 27, 2020 at his residence. He was a U.S. Naval veteran of World War II and a member at Kerbinsville Alliance Church where he served as an elder, an elder emeritus, and a longtime Sunday school teacher. In fact, when Jeff and Sue started coming to Kerbinsville Alliance, Jeff had grown up at Kerbinsville Alliance, married Sue, went to another church for a few decades, and then he came back here, and he walked by Mr. Hand's Sunday school class, and he looked, and there he was teaching, and there he said, that guy's right where I left him. (laughs) He taught Sunday school for all his adult life as a Christian. In 1946, he married Anne, who preceded him in death on November 8, 2006. Graveside services were held May 4th, 2020 at Lumber City Cemetery. There's some things that come to my mind when I think of Jim Hand. The first one is passion. You understand what passion is. It is feeling so strong about something that it makes you hurt, you know? Jim was passionate about whatever he did. It didn't matter what it was. He was passionate about his family. He was passionate about his farm. And he was passionate about his faith. He was passionate about his wife. He spoke of those things whenever he could. Passionate about the gospel, the truth that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. And as we turn from our sin and trust in him, we can be changed and have eternal life. He was passionate about that. And he was passionate about God's word. If you ever snuck in on one of his Sunday school classes, he might have a he might have a newspaper clipping there and all the, all the other thing he had was just his Bible. And it was marked up. And he would preach with such passion that sometimes the guy in the next Sunday school class would go over and just pull his door shut because you're getting a little carried away there, Jim, because he was passionate about that sort of thing. He's passionate about the return of Christ. I can remember he'd come to church in the morning and he, every morning, every Sunday morning, same sentence, he'd say, what's new, pastor? And I would say, oh, not too much. What's wrong with you? Aren't you watching the news? Man, the Lord's returning. If he doesn't return any time, I don't know what's going on here. Have you read this? What about this passage? And he always wanted to talk about the return of Christ because he was passionate about that. He was passionate about his nation. He was a patriot. He loved his country because of the freedoms it had afforded. And as a World War II naval veteran, he had a collection of medals. He had a collection of shrapnel, I think. He had photos, he had books about his time in the Pacific Theater. One time I said to some of the young men in our church, we need to go hear Jim Hand's story, let's go. And we went to his house one evening and we sat there at his kitchen table and he told us about his time in the Pacific Theater. He opened up the newspaper and put it right there and there the Clearfield Progress had a full page spread and part of it was a big picture of a kamikaze plane coming down and hitting a boat that had actually been a tanker and had been converted to an aircraft carrier with a wooden deck. Think of that for a minute. And that kamikaze hit that thing and went right through that deck and right out the bottom of the ship. Guess who was on that ship? Jim Han. 
Wow, he had good stories to tell. And he didn't tell them like, I'm so cool. He told them like, our nation has freedoms that other nations don't. And men and women died to make that happen. I am proud to have served. Patriotism. Compassion. Or passion, rather. Passion, patriotism. And you know what? They all begin with P, rather. It's almost like I alliterated these for a sermon. By the way, the sermon hasn't started yet, so hang on. <laughs> the third thing I think of when I think of Jim is purity. When he came home from World War II, he found Christ. He did not know Christ when he was in the military. He realized that he was guilty of sin and that Christ had paid for those sins, so he surrendered his life to Christ and found forgiveness and transformation. And when he turned to Jesus, he turned from evil. And people would remark, man, you are not the same guy I knew. What happened to you? And he would say, Jesus happened to me. He wasn't perfect, but he was transformed, changed from the inside out to the point where I imagine to some people he seemed kind of strict, stern. But Jim had seen a lot of evil in his life. From his teen years to his time in the military, He saw what life without God at the center looked like and he wanted to avoid that kind of life and he wanted to help others do the same. I want to tell you, I don't mean to pull on your heartstrings, but the thing I remember most about Jim was the sorrow he felt when he lost Anne. He simply did not know what to do with himself. I was there that long night in Pittsburgh in the hospital. Doctors had said, you know, she's not going to come back and we sat there all night long. He, I, I sat kind of curled up in a very uncomfortable chair. Imagine a six foot two, 220 pound pastor curled up in a chair trying to get some sleep because I knew I had to go drive back in the morning. The man stood at her bedside. He stroked her hair. He spoke softly to her. He always called her mom. Told her he loved her and cried out to God for mercy. There are things you get to see when you're a pastor that I wouldn't trade for the world. It was a beautiful, holy event. And in the end, God gave mercy to Anne. And this past April, he gave mercy to Jim. And they, with Ed, are with Jesus. (laughs) And there's no more pain, there's no more sickness, there's no more evil. They are there along with all those who've turned to Christ. Now, as we remember these people today, I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to talk to you about something we call the Beatitudes. I want to read through them rather quickly, and then I want to talk to you about them. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a dozen verses. Follow along if you can. There's a YouVersion Bible app event for this. You can follow that way if you would like to. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, these are called the Beatitudes. And every conversation I've ever had about the Beatitudes begins with this. Pastor, I just don't understand what Jesus is saying there. And unfortunately, just about every conversation that I've had with someone concerning the Beatitudes ends with this. Yeah, I still don't understand what Jesus is saying there. 
it's kind of a head scratcher and it, it, it's difficult actually to understand. It leads us to a number of misconceptions about the Beatitudes. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of the greatest preachers of the last century, uh, preached a, a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and he pointed out, and they've been kind of tossed around, and others have talked about them too, several misconceptions about the Beatitudes. I want to share some of them with you. First, sometimes when people look at these sayings of Jesus that we just read, they feel like, well, those are for special Christians. No, that's not right. But people will say, wow, I read that whole list of Beatitudes, and that's not me. I don't have any of those, right? Hmm, that's a misconception. Here's a second misconception. Sometimes people feel like we only get one or two of these. Merciful, blessed are the merciful. That's not mine, buddy. I don't have any mercy. These aren't like the gifts of the Spirit, that you might get this one, that one, or the other one. These are more like the fruit of the Spirit that all of us can exhibit. And so it's not like you just get one or two. That would be a misconception. Some people feel like, well, these are natural inclinations. It's kind of how, how you're wired. Peacemaker. That's how I'm wired. I'm a pretty good peacemaker. That must be my beatitude. Nope. Jesus isn't talking about a particular disposition or personality type here. Another misconception is this, that, well, these are optional. I don't really see that they're essential for Christ followers to have these. And so you might hear someone say, hey, have you met Joey? Talk about someone who's pure in heart. That's not me, buddy. I'm not pure in heart at all. Ah, I I know it's a, a beatitude, but it's not God. Jesus doesn't want me to be pure in heart, does he? Yep, he does. Yeah. So these are not kind of like uh, things that, that uh, are optional in the Christian life. One more misconception, that these are keys to successful living. Jesus can help you with his five keys, eight keys to essential living. Just implement these and you too will inherit the earth. That's not what's going on there at all. It's <laughs> not what Jesus is looking for as an outcome. Here's what you need to remember that Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And this is kind of, this is the way reality is. This is the way the kingdom is. And remember last week we talked about, you've got it upside down. You're looking at the kingdom, you're looking at life like someone who's running a screwdriver from the wrong end. And it looks like you're turning righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, but you know what you're doing? You're doing a righty-loosey. And unless you get your vision turned around and your perspective turned around, you'll never get it right, okay? So Jesus is turning the world upside down. And really what you can see Jesus doing here is he's revealing what kind of person finds himself in the kingdom. Jesus is revealing the kind of person who finds a home in the kingdom. And so these are not commands. It's not like he's saying, you better be merciful. In fact, Jesus doesn't change the Ten Commandments of Moses for these eight new Beatitudes. That's not what he's doing at all. He's saying this. He's saying, this is what the people of God look like. This is what citizens of the kingdom of heaven look like. They're poor in spirit, but they're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And they mourn, but they're comforted as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It might be helpful to turn our thinking upside down by kind of rephrasing the Beatitudes. And there's something inside me that says, oh, I don't like that sentence, rephrasing the Beatitudes. It's like, Jesus didn't get them right, I'm going to get them right for you. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Nothing that Jesus ever did was inadequate. And the word of God is always right. But since the kingdom of heaven seems so foreign to our society, maybe it would be good to just kind of think of these with a new perspective, with a a detailed perspective that would help us understand exactly what Jesus was saying when he says things like, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In fact, let's give some attention to that. We'll go right through all eight of these. 
The NIV says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You might say that like this. There, it is a blessing when we realize we have nothing before God and are completely dependent on his grace and on his mercy. You see, when we understand our own spiritual poverty, and I want to link that phrase, spiritual poverty, to poor in spirit. When we begin to understand our own spiritual poverty, then we begin to realize the blessing of heaven must be freely given. Because frankly, we don't have the currency with which to buy our way into heaven. We're broke. We're bankrupt. We're spiritually out of it. I told you that Ed McCauley, whenever he prayed for the communion, he would weep. Do you know why? Because he understood his own spiritual inadequacy before God. He understood his own spiritual poverty. He was poor in spirit, but he was rich in the grace of God in Christ Jesus that made the kingdom of God available to him. When you realize you have no currency whereby to purchase your way into the kingdom, you begin to fathom the importance of the grace of God and the beauty of the grace of God and how essential is the mercy of God. And then you begin, you begin to find forgiveness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of person you find in the kingdom. Let's think about the second one. It's the ones who mourn. And, and you know, you might think, well, he's just talking about people that are sad because maybe they've lost a loved one. Indeed, the scripture does say that God is close to the brokenhearted. It says that in Psalm 34, 18. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says he comforts us in all our troubles. So yes, he does help us when we're mourning. But remember, this these Beatitudes fall into a sermon where Jesus is saying, this is reality, and this is what the kingdom looks like. What about those who mourn in the kingdom? And, and verse 4, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It might do good to think about, what are they mourning about? Someone said to me this morning as they were leaving the sanctuary, uh, they said, hey, do me a favor, pray for my cousin. He and his wife decades of being together, just found out abhorrent things and that marriage is dissolving and it's killing my aunt and uncle because it's their adult children. They are just so full of grief about this. Okay, they are mourning and what they are mourning, what they are grieving is the evil that they're seeing unfolded before their eyes that they didn't even know about that had been happening. Blessed are they that mourn for they will be comforted. I feel like what Jesus is saying is that when you recognize the evil of this world, you'll mourn, but you'll be seeing clearly, seeing that the only solution is God's goodness. And in that, you will find great comfort. Why are some people like Jim Hand so hung up on the return of Christ? I'll be real honest with you. Sometimes it was annoying. Pastor, have you seen this? Oh, come on, man. I know why. I know why because he was deeply grieved at what he saw in the world that he lived in. Anyone else feeling that way? You're blessed because you're seeing the evil of this world and you're mourning, but you're seeing it clearly, seeing that the only solution will be God's comfort and that is coming. And so you find comfort in that. That's the kind of person you find in the kingdom. The third beatitude has to do with the meek. Verse five says, blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Meek, by the way, doesn't mean weak. We've said that a hundred times. It means strong and gentle. It means quiet and not demanding. I think when Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that you can think of him as saying, listen, when you stop fighting and clamoring and demanding your rights, and when you begin to trust God, you get more than you could have ever hoped for. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So when Laura was expecting our first child, we were flying to Florida on a plane that was going from Pittsburgh to Cleveland to Tennessee to Tampa. Wow, that's a lot of flying, isn't it? $99. We were so poor, we couldn't even afford one ticket for that, so someone in our church bought them for us. Got to Cleveland, and I got this thing about Cleveland. If you're a Browns fan, God bless you, right? (laughs) But at that point in my life, I'd never been to Cleveland, and I didn't break down in my car or whatever it was. And there I was in a plane. We landed, and uh, we're sitting there for about an hour. My wife's pregnant, and the air conditioning's off. She's pretty uncomfortable. And finally, they say, you know what? The plane's broken. You're going to have to deboard. So off we went, deplane. So there we were in the, in the lobby or the airport waiting there at the gate and just waiting and waiting and waiting. We were dirt poor. I mean, someone bought us the tickets. We didn't, have you seen the price of airport food? Have you eaten it? So, you know, we're sitting, waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, they say, okay, we got the plane ready to go, but we're going to have to reassign your seats. Uh, please come to the ticket counter. I looked at Laurel and she looked at me like, I am not moving, buddy, you know? And I said, okay, so we just sat there and waited. And everyone else, whoa, they're clamoring up there at the ticket counter, getting in line, cutting in front of each other. They want to get on that plane because it's been a long time. And there Laurel and I are sitting. And finally, the last person's out and Laurel and I walk up and the woman at the ticket counter looks at us and says, we are out of seats. I'll have to give you first class passage. <laughs> whoa, have you ever been in first class? Wow, that is the only way to fly, right? That was so fantastic. And I'm going to tell you, I thought of this verse at that time. Man, when you stop clamoring for position, you'll get more than you hope for. The person who doesn't fight for his rights is actually trusting God to do that for him. And that's the kind of person you find in the kingdom. The next beatitude talks about those who actually hunger and thirst for righteousness. It says in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Notice it doesn't say, Blessed are those who earn their righteousness. It says they're hungry and thirsty for it, and God does a filling of it. Both Jim and Ed understood that. They hungered and thirsted for righteousness. They didn't like who they were without Christ. And when we talk about their life without Christ, they never talked about like, Oh yeah, those were good times. Both of them talked about it with some sense of shaking their head in disappointment with who they were and sometimes disgust with who they were. They had a sincere desire to be right before their maker. And God made that happen. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled, you can imagine him saying, if you have a sincere desire to be a better person so you can be right before God, God will make that happen. The desire itself is a prerequisite. The hunger and the thirst. That's the kind of person you find in the kingdom. (laughs) Fifth, Jesus talks about the merciful. He says it right in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy, by definition, cannot be earned. So you can't look at that and say, okay, if I'm merciful, then I will earn the mercy of God to pay me back. That doesn't work. That's a, you're not understanding the word mercy. Mercy is something you don't deserve, and you get it freely. So Jesus isn't saying, if you're merciful, then God will let you off the hook. 
What I feel like Jesus is probably saying is when you show mercy, you're indicating you understand God's mercy and you're relying on his mercy. I knew Ed and I knew Jim and I knew neither of them were by nature merciful people. In fact, I can hear Ed saying, hey, you know, if they, if they can't do the time, then they shouldn't do the crime, <laughs> you know? And yet I watched them show mercy. When people would come to us for prayer, the elders would pray. When people would come for us for need as deacons, Ed would say, you know, this is kind of their fault, but let's help them out anyway. Mercy, mercy. We had some policies at Kermansville Alliance Church that were not in alignment with mercy. And Jim Hand, who probably helped write those policies, asked me to revisit them. He says, this is just not in accordance with, with mercy. And we did, and we changed them. The merciful, that's the kind of person that you'll find in the kingdom. The pure in heart, that's in verse eight, where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I tend to be a little bit cynical. (laughs) And sometimes cynicism comes from seeing everybody else be false and impure and phony. There's a really good chance that cynicism, at least in my experience and probably in yours, comes from seeing your own struggle to be who you should be. And so you have trouble believing anybody is really who they should be. Some of the men in our church are reading a book uh, called A Gentle Answer by Scott Sauls. And he talks about cynicism in the chapter we spoke about yesterday. The guys were together talking about that. And, And purity of heart is something that falls in line with being rid of cynicism. And one of those guys sent me a text this week. He said, uh, hey, I'm reading a gentle answer. It is water for my parched soul. I am clinging to the hope that others are for good things and not just against the bad. You see what he's doing? He's letting go of cynicism. He's longing for pureness of heart. <laughs> Blessed are those who have been cleansed and refined by God, and follow him. They find meaning and purpose in life. That's the kind of person you find in the kingdom. Number seven is the peacemakers. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Jesus isn't limiting this to the ability to help some guys at work settle an argument they're having about whether the Steelers or the Bengals are the better team. It's not that, necessarily. Jesus uh, is speaking about the kingdom, remember? And when he's talking about peacemaking, and the kingdom, there's a really good chance he's talking about having peace with God. Jim Han had a family member who was dying of cancer. And the family called me in to talk to that. I had a neighborhood connection with that family. And they said, hey, Pastor Steve, would you go talk to him? And they didn't use these words, but this is what they made, what they meant. Would you go talk to him and help him make his peace with God? Wow, I'll take that trip any day of the week. That's a great trip to make. When I arrived, I learned, listen to what I learned. Jim Hand had already been there. (laughs) And he laid groundwork. He set down a foundation. And all I did is come along and just finish it off. And the man made his peace with God. And the man was blessed. And I was blessed. And Jim Hand was blessed. Because you are blessed when you join God in his mission, reconciling the world to himself. You're happy as a co-worker with Christ in the kingdom, helping people find peace with God. Peacemakers. That's the kind of people you'll find in the kingdom. The last one that Jesus mentioned is the persecuted. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, Jesus isn't saying you're blessed if you like to be abused. He's not saying that at all. He's saying people who are courageous, who are willing to stand in the gap and present the kingdom to the world, those people are blessed. You know, neither Ed McCulley nor Jim Hand were afraid to talk about their faith. And the reason they did it was so that others could find what they found, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, release from shame, citizenship in the kingdom. That's the kind of person you'll find in the kingdom. Now, these are not habits or patterns or behaviors that we should imitate. Let me say that sentence again. I don't believe that these are habits or patterns or behaviors that God is calling us to imitate. It's bigger than that. He has a whole new perspective that we should consider. He, he is telling us, here is what it looks like in the kingdom. And frankly, the kingdom of this world looks nothing like what I've just described with these eight Beatitudes, Jesus is saying. It's turned upside down. The Beatitudes are about perspective. They're even about kind of a mindset that kingdom people have, how kingdom people, how, how they think. And Jesus preached that mindset, not just here on the Mount of Beatitudes. He preached it all the way to the cross. And he taught it in communion. I mean, as we prepare our hearts for communion, think about how these Beatitudes of Jesus correspond with what we're doing. We take communion because we know we need Christ. That's why we take it. That we know we are poor in spirit. That we have poverty of spirit. That we are morally bankrupt before God. We have no currency to offer him. And he, he makes us part of the kingdom. We take communion because we need Christ. We take communion because we mourn regarding the evil of this world. And as we take these elements, this bread and this cup, we find comfort in the hope that God is going to change things. And we are part of that kingdom. We take communion because we're done fighting. We're done fighting. We trust in Christ, the Christ who does it all for us, from the cross to the grave to the sky. And we take communion because we see in Christ that demanding nothing, we are receiving everything. And we are part of the kingdom. And we take communion because we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we see that that is fulfilled in the cross of Christ. And just as food and drink satisfy physical hunger and thirst, Christ's body and blood fills our desire for righteousness and makes us part of the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom because of Christ. And that's why we take communion. And we take communion because God has purified our hearts. We love mercy. We know these elements presented here represent the mercy of God. Something we didn't ask for, something we could not have earned. And because of it, we're part of the kingdom. And he has changed us and made us pure. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, the law requires nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And you're going to be holding a cup in a moment that is filled with some grape juice that represents the blood of Christ. The second part of that verse says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
I say, because of the shedding of blood, we are forgiven and made pure. He's made us part of the kingdom. We take communion because we have found peace with God and we love it. We know that we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God because it is blessed to be a peacemaker. And it is wonderful to see people discover that which you have discovered, peace with God and being part of the kingdom. And we take communion because we are not afraid. We're not afraid to be in a minority. We are not afraid to show love to others. We are not afraid to be gentle. We are not afraid to do what is honorable. We are not afraid to treat others with respect, even when it costs us. We are not afraid to lead in the right direction or to walk in the right direction alone. We are not afraid to stand against evil. We are not afraid to share God's word. We are not afraid to be persecuted because we have been made part of the kingdom. Do you see how these Beatitudes fold right into what it means to be a follower of Christ? You're blessed. You're blessed as a follower of Christ. He's not giving you some kind of moral code that you better measure up to these or you're not blessed. You can't measure up to these. But he has brought you in to his kingdom. He has made you a citizen of heaven as you trust in him. And he wants to transform in your everyday thinking your perspective of life. He wants you to move from feeling like blessed are the people who have no problems because they have no problems. And blessed are the people who get everything they want because they get everything they want. And blessed are the people who are, are, have the biggest screen TV and their team's winning because they have the biggest screen TV and their team's winning. He wants to transform you out of that shallow thinking into a depth of thinking. He wants you to see the kingdom as it is because it changes everything about you. As you take communion this morning, evaluate your perspective on the kingdom. In fact, I'm going to ask the musicians if they'll come right now. And I'm going to ask you to evaluate your perspective on the kingdom and say, God, have I been feeling like having smart kids and a good husband and healthy kids and a great job and a good retirement plan Have I been thinking that that's what happiness is, blessedness is? Because there's a real good chance that that's what you've been thinking. That that you're blessed if you're in right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy all the time. Have I had that perspective, God? Forgive me for feeling that way. Change my way of thinking so that I have this kingdom perspective that you have shared with me this morning. So we're going to Take just a moment before we take communion and just have that quietness where the scripture says one should examine oneself before eating the bread or drinking the cup. Take those moments, these moments, to speak to God in quietness of heart and then we'll take communion together. Lord Jesus, we need your perspective. We need to see the kingdom from your perspective. Because we will not be blessed (laughs) if we're looking at it upside down. Thank you for knowing that we would have this difficulty. 
Thank you for not being critical of us as we suffer this difficulty. Thank you for so graciously walking up onto the hillside, sitting down, and teaching us. Change our perspective. Give us a kingdom mentality and a kingdom perspective. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That what you have in your hand is really handy, isn't it? So Josh, in a moment, I'll ask you to pray for the bread. I just want to remind you, because you can really make a mess of this if you don't do it right. Um, There's a thin film there, and you're going to want to pull that up. And then underneath that, there is a very thin wafer. Okay, those are the nuts and bolts. Now let's uh, talk about this. That which you hold in your hand is representative of the king. He's the king of the kingdom. It represents his body, which is freely given for you so that you could be transformed by his mercy and his grace so that you could be a kingdom person, so that you could be forgiven for sins that you still struggle with, so that you could find mercy for attitudes that you don't like about yourself, so that you could walk a path of transformation from here until the day that you die. And so one day, a pastor will do a eulogy about you, and he'll say, what a kingdom person that was. Isn't that what we hunger for? Not the acknowledgement of that. I don't want people to be at my funeral saying, wow, look how cool he was. But I want to be a kingdom person so that he above will be pleased. It is possible because of this bread and this cup. I'm going to ask Josh to pray a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ. Josh. God, we thank you for your amazing grace. And we cling to that each and every day. We thank you for the punishment that you willingly accepted on our behalf. It's beyond human comprehension. God, we thank you for your incredible mercy. God, we ask that we would, we, would, uh, we would be people that live lives in the tension between the poverty of spirit, God, as well as the fullness of Christ living in us. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. The body of Christ. And if you want to do the mechanics of opening your cup, you can do that at this time. That which you hold in your hand represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nearly everything had to be sprinkled with blood and purified in the temple because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Having hearts that have been sprinkled with his blood, we find ourselves pure and holy by his grace before him. I'm going to ask Dave Clark if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ, and we'll take it together. David? Father, we are here today using this symbol of the sacrifice that you made for us, the blood that was spilled on our behalf. And we are so grateful. Lord, may the grace and mercy that you've shown us be part of our lives as we show that to others. I I pray a prayer of thanks to you today, Lord, for the blood that was spilled on our behalf. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. The blood of Christ. Would you bow your heart and receive this rather lengthy benediction? You are blessed when you realize you have nothing before God. 
and are completely dependent on his grace and mercy. You are blessed when you struggle in your recognition of the evil of this world and it causes you to mourn. But you're seeing clearly, understanding the only solution is God's goodness. You are blessed because you have stopped clamoring for your rights and you have begun trusting God and you are finding more than you would hope for. You are blessed because you have a sincere hunger and desire to be a better person so you can be right before God. And God has made that happen because the desire itself was a prerequisite. And you are blessed because you have been shown mercy. You have indicated that you understand that God's mercy is what you must rely on and it holds you and sustains you. And you are blessed because you have been cleansed and refined by God himself, made pure in heart, and found meaning and purpose in life. And you are blessed because God has called you to join him in his mission of reconciling the world to himself. And you find happiness as a co-worker with Christ in the kingdom, helping others find what you have found, peace with God. And you are blessed because you are willing to courageously stand in the gap showing the kingdom of God to a world that needs this blessing. Take this blessing as you go from here today. In Christ's name, amen.